And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And there are guys in studio today, uh, myself, Stan the Fan, but instead of Craig Heist in the first 45 minutes or so of the show, got an old friend and the son of an even older friend. Uh, I've got Andrew Stetka, who writes for MassInSports.com once a week, and he also contributes to the Utah Street Report, Tony Lombardi's baseball wing of his uh, overall uh, Baltimore sports site, which includes the Russell Street Report as well. Andrew Stetka, welcome in. Thanks, Stan. I figured if, if Craig wasn't here, I had to make things a little better looking and, and, and chime in myself. Well, there's no question better looking, <laughs> better smelling, uh, just no a, a whole lot. Thank, would you agree, Brent? I much completely better, Much better to look at? I completely agree with that. All right. Anyway, uh, that's the humor part of the show. Anyway, uh, let's let's set the stage for you today, what's happening. Andrew was kind enough. He, I called him to be on the show and he happens to be in town this weekend, so he's stepping in for the first couple segments of the show. He'll be here until about 10.45, and we will talk all things Orioles. Bill Ordine is going to join us. He's our press box gaming writer, and Bill's going to talk about the, um, the, um, the hope, hope for soon-to-be uh, legalized sports betting in the state of Maryland and the overall impact this um, uh, eradication of the PASPA legislation is going to have on baseball betting all around the country. Bill Latson from MLB.com, their newsmakers section, is going to be on with us. He did a, a piece most recently on Don Mattingly. And then an old friend, Craig Heist, talks to an old friend as well as he grabbed Mark Reynolds, now in a uh, Washington Nationals uh, uni, and uh, sat down with him for about six minutes. We'll play that. And then Mel Antonin from uh, Masson Sports com will be on with us as well. So we've got a, two hours of baseball talk for you. Please like it and share it if you've joined us on Facebook. And that's what I've got to do right now, uh, Mr. Stetka. But first things first, let's ask you a question. Were you at, were you in in Baltimore in time to see last night's game? I was not. I was in the air. Uh, definitely caught the highlights. Uh, was spent, spent all morning on MLB Network watching all the highlights of the games last night that I missed. Um, but, I mean, you know, from what I saw, it looked like David Hess pit, pitched pretty well, and the offense still didn't really do a lot, but they, they got enough. You know, it's really interesting. The, the Orioles, we know that they've got Bundy and Gosman. They were two number one picks from seven years ago and five years ago, I think, or six and five. Uh, but other than that, they have had to put their starting rotation together uh, with glue and stick them and, you know, right. the whole thing. I mean, Chris Tillman basically developed in the Orioles system, but he hasn't been the same pitcher since June of 2016. Right, since that shoulder injury. Since that shoulder injury. And I dated back, I remember he beat the Yankees to go 14-3 and or something like that. And then from that point on, he went like 2-6 and or 2-7. and Uh, But other than that, we've had to do the Wade Miley, Giovanni Gallardo, Ubaldo Jimenez, uh, we know that Hunter Harvey's in the offing over there. Sure. This guy is one of the first pleasant surprises that the Orioles have had by way of a pitcher 
the last decent Orioles starter that started his career with the Orioles was Mike Wright. His first two or three games, it looked like he was exactly what David Hess is. Right, and you hope that Hess doesn't kind of fall off the table like Wright did. You yep. hope he can maintain um, at least, you know, they're not going to need what they got last night from him all the time. They just need, you know, half of that, three-quarters of that. They need him to keep them in games and give the team a chance to win. Exactly. You you, you hope that this offense eventually will wake up and do a little bit more. Um, and obviously we're talking long-term here. I mean, short in the short term, this, this season has been, you know, oh. such a train wreck that, that – you don't it's not going anywhere but you hope that this can perhaps be a good development for David Hess and that he can get going and and maybe start himself a decent major league career um, after spending time in the minors to develop now I I mentioned the name Chris Tillman before obviously David Hess is now established enough to say he's in the foreseeable future he's the number five starter right now uh, have you heard anything at all most recently on the road trip? I saw Chris was still in the Oriole dugout, uh, so he apparently has not gone down to Norfolk to start to work on getting back in shape and and see if he can salvage his career. It certainly seems like a mystery as to what Chris Tillman is doing or what the future is for him. Um, I know one thing. Buck Showalter seems to really like David Hess, and you know when the, when you get into Buck Showalter's good graces and you become one of you know his guys, um, he likes his guys as he likes to say a lot. And if David Hess starts to to get on a little bit of a roll, even if he has a hiccup here or there, he could be earning himself some some goodwill and some and some you know some more opportunities down the road, even if Chris Tillman does get himself back to a point where he's healthy enough to pitch. Now, I don't even really know if Chris Tillman isn't healthy enough to pitch or if this is one of those injuries that was right. you know, more of a, an inflated ERA rather than an inflated back injury. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Chris, even after that game, uh, the la most recent game that he got pummeled, basically said, I'm fine, right. you know. Um, listen, I mean, we've seen I, this a lot with the Orioles, and we've seen this a lot with Tillman, where he just doesn't, you know, he may seem fine or look fine, but he doesn't appear to be fine physically. Something has appeared off since since that moment since in that 2016. Since, since, since that, that shoulder, shoulder injury. injury, it's like he's been a different person. It's almost, I know it's totally different reasons, almost like the different person that Chris Davis has been since he signed that contract. Well, and it's wild you, I was just going to bring him up because I know a lot of fans feel this way about both Tillman and Davis. There's a lot of um, nostalgia is probably not the right word there, but there's a lot of good grace with both of those guys. Both of those guys have been contributing players on successful Orioles teams over the last five, six years. And I, you know, there's a lot of frustration that comes with the both of them because of their re more recent performance. Uh, you know, over the last year and a half, two years, both have just, not been good there's there, there's no other way to put it they they've flat out stunk and you know fans want to root for them because they remember what they were but as, as it currently stands there's just they're, they're not get, the Orioles aren't getting anything from either of those guys just asking you were you at home in Arizona and watching the Oriole game when Jim Palmer uh, I, talked post game I did not see it I was out to dinner uh, with somebody, and uh, we were watching the Caps game that right. night. I took a rare night off, <laughs> and the most uh, controversial thing that happened. So I, I watched the game as well as the Caps game. Uh, right. I was I kind of had the the split screen going. Um, 
obviously more focus for me was on the caps just because it's a playoff game but i did have my eye on the Oriole game and i watched that game and um i didn't see the post game comments live but later on in the night obviously i've got a little bit of an advantage with time difference out there in arizona it wasn't as late um when palmer made the comments and when he made the comments i was part of me was surprised but at the same time i wasn't because jim palmer's always been known to make these you know bold statements Jim is the one guy in the organization that and i'm not saying he doesn't care that if he loses his job or anything right he he just is going to tell it like it is he's criticized machado at times he's criticized different pitchers at times and, and that's what you want from a color want from, from a color analyst. analyst. You don't want that particularly from a play-by-play guy, right? But you want it from a color analyst. You want to hear the truth, even if it's a brutal, honest truth. This team is one of the worst in baseball, and there needs to be honesty about that. And yep. Palmer was speaking honestly, and I think he was honest in the fact that this isn't all on Chris Davis. You know, he he pointed out that Davis. Davis's struggles are compounded by the fact that the entire offense is struggling around him. The entire, you know, outside of Manny Machado, um, this offense has, as a whole, struggled. And he laid into Davis. And what I was, I think, more surprised by is that the reaction in the in the day or two after from both Davis and Scott Kubal, when they kind of just seemed like it you know, they were disappointed by Palmer's comments or they, they didn't really, it didn't seem like, I mean, not that I'm going to, not that I'm going to expect Davis to say he's right. Right. I, you know, right. But at the same time to, to, to act like you're shocked by those comments is a little weird. It's well, a little the, off putting. The criticism is really interesting. The criticism is more about work ethic and honesty right. rather than criticizing the performance. The performance is there for everybody to sure. see. Everybody can you see what's going sugarcoat on. sugarcoat that, well, he's, really hitting the tough luck that's why he's hitting 158 right you know uh but the when you question somebody's ethics uh to tell to portray what he's done and how much work he's put in and look the fact that he hasn't worked with school scott Coolball does not mean that he hasn't worked it, it means sure. that he hasn't put in the work at changing something well apparently. and i also found it very strange that the very next day the comments were made wednesday night Thursday afternoon in Chicago, Chris Davis steps up to the plate and has a little bit of a tweak to his batting stance. He was resting the bat on his shoulder Mm -hmm. up until the moment when the pitch was being delivered. It almost reminded me a little bit of what Cal Ripken used to do, changing the batting stance just a little to get the timing off. And I found it strange that Davis would kind of brush off the comments on the same day that he did make a change. So there was something going on there. Maybe maybe Palmer's comments really did get to Davis and he didn't he wasn't really brushing them off maybe he took them to heart and said eh, maybe I should try something a little different well we we are live on Facebook at Facebook live and you can join us there by going to facebook.com slash pressbox sports or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio if you do come onto the um, the Facebook feed please like us and share us it helps to build up the audience uh if anybody has some comments they want to share with us because we are unable technically to take phone calls uh we don't have we're not like a big radio station with a 12 line uh thing so if you have some comments feel free to put them here and Stuart kelser uh does on the facebook feed he says clean house including buck um i as recently as say three weeks ago I thought that Buck Showalter was in no danger of losing his job imminently. I, I'm not so sure right now that another two or three weeks stretch 
similar to what we've had until the, they've won, what, three out of the last five, that would keep them as job. But if they go on a, you know, 5-14, and 5-18 and 18 streak again, I'm not sure that Buck does survive that. The biggest thing for me coming into this season was the fact that the the organization had set itself expectations. And I talk about this a lot through through writing over the years. When the, when 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 the organization sets excel, sets itself expectations, they expect to be competitive this year. They went out, they signed Andrew Kashner, they signed Alex Cobb, they brought back Chris Tillman. They were going going for it in a sense that maybe they didn't think they, they thought c- the, they thought the Valencia and Rasmus signings were plus sure. signings sure. To, to spike an already. Maybe they didn't think they could compete with the Yankees or Red Sox, but they thought they could get in there in that second wild card conversation, maybe jump up into the first. And the fact that it has gone so far the other way to me says that not only were they so misguided in that expectation, but it has gone so op- so in an opposite direction that no one's job should be safe. Right. I mean, that's Buck Showalter. That's Dan Duquette, who are both obviously in contract years anyway. That's Brady Anderson, who I think a lot of people expect at this point is going to still maintain some role in the front office in, in entering the future. Um, anybody who has had a part in, in piecing, this, piecing yeah. together this team and setting it up, let's be honest, for failure – should should be at risk, and yeah. I, I agree with that. I think well, Buck Showalter. I agree with you too. When you say a couple weeks ago, you thought no chance Buck well, would be partly out. Partly because I expected Cobb to pitch better, and with the schedule that we had after the Cleveland series right. at the end of April, I said, well, the next twenty five games, it's got to get better. It's got to get better, and it, I guess technically it did. They're eleven and sixteen, but I was talking not about getting back into right. contention. What I was talking nightly on my Facebook Live thing was, let's forget about being in contention. Let's see if we can get back into co- be competitive enough to go 500 for the when, season. When 11 and 16 is an improvement, that's how bad. That's how, that's how, how bad you know it's it's really really bad. And uh, I mean, like I said, with the expectation that they were going to be competitive, that's out the window now. They've got the the biggest issue to me now is, especially with the trade deadline looming and all of these pieces you know, supposedly going to be on the move, they've got to let people know who is going to be making these decisions and f- and with what motivations. They've got to let us know, and I don't mean us as in the media, I mean the fan base at large, who is making the decisions and, and, and why and who's going to be here around to see it through beyond 2018. I think you're absolutely right, and I think the club, listen, they have never had the model that the Orioles had back in the days when Larry was here, Larry Lucchino. Larry, you knew, was the guy. He was the president right. of the team in addition to owning a small piece of the team. But when there was a major press conference, Larry was front and center leading that conference, even if Roland Heeman or someone else was kind of in charge of the press conference. Larry was there. Peter took an entirely different tact. I don't think we know now – who would, like, if you were letting Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter go, who would be on that podium right now? And I think you're absolutely right. Fans want to know 
who is where's the chain of command sure they feel they need that that's the biggest question right now is you know like i said not only who is calling the shots right now we've seen a lot of reports come out over the past weeks and months either from national reporters like ken rosenthal or from local guys at the baltimore sun saying well so and so has taken more control whether it's peter angelos's sons or whether brady anderson has more of a role but those have also been disputed. There's been conflicting reports about the, the health of Peter Angelos. Uh, nobody really truly knows what's going on currently, but more importantly, and especially when it comes to the on-field product, people want to know who, who's going to be in charge going forward. That's yep. that's the biggest thing because right now everyone's looking to the future. Brian Powell jumps on our Facebook feed and says, assuming the Sun article is right, and Brady doesn't want the GM position, who should be in charge of making the trades that need to be made considering Duquette is probably not back next season? It's a, it's a great question. I've been told by somebody not affiliated with the club, but somebody that does know sort of the machinations and know all the movers and shakers, that Brady, in fact, is going to end up wanting this job. So he's been either talked into it or it's been described to him in a way that he he was willing to do it. So I wrote about this a little bit on Thursday morning in my weekly column at utahstreetreport.com. Shameless right. plug. Um, when I read that article in The Sun, I kind of had to read between the lines a little bit with Brady Anderson. To me, it's one of two things. Either Brady really does not want the GM job, he, he, he wants to avoid that at all costs, um, because he wants to s remain in this kind of hybrid role that he's been in for the last few years, you know, not a lot of in the shadows. In the sh well, not only in the shadows, but I mean, not a lot of people realize Brady Anderson has a locker room, a locker, a locker in the clubhouse, room, right. and and works out with the guys, and and you know has been performing this kind of front office slash almost coaching role. It's a very much a high. And Ken Rosenthal wrote a big piece about this uh, when he was writing on his Facebook page a year and a half ago before he joined the Athletic. Right. That kind of detailed what exactly Brady Anderson's role is and what he's doing. So he either wants to remain in that role because he's comfortable there. He doesn't want to be behind a desk all day or he really does want the job and he just doesn't want to come out and say it because there's another man that has the job currently. He doesn't want to step on Dan Duquette's feet when he's still in that role. And I could completely understand that as well. So it's one of those two things. I'd be willing to believe either, um, but I'd, I'd be more willing to believe just from, from what I know and what I've heard that he doesn't want the role, that he, he he wants to remain in that hybrid role and, you know, wants to kind of stay, so, so that be, be, able, be able to make the decisions but not be the face. So that leads back to Brian's question, which is a really good one, and I'll even tweak it a little bit more. So, you know, Dan Duquette, in my opinion, despite his some miscalculations this year, um, I still think he's a pretty solid baseball guy. Um, has he made mistakes? Yes. Has the club made mistakes that Dan wouldn't have really made, such as the Chris Davis signing, the Trumbo signing? I don't think those, and the O'Day signing. I don't think those are things in and of himself he would have been pushing. I think those were kind of sure. foisted upon him. But here's the question. If, if they've made a determination that Dan is not going to be part of this equation, what does Dan know and when did he start knowing it and do you want a guy that may be out the door being the architect of this this portion of your rebuild where 
he could tr- he could right. say, hey, I-, I don't really care what we get back from Machado because I'm not going to be here. Because he's not going to be around. And that's the biggest per- that's the biggest problem right now is the perception of all of this. Yes. And it goes back to Brady Anderson, too. If, if Brady Anderson, you know, wants to be in this, you you said in the shadows role. I, 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 it's more of like a, you know, he wants to be able to make the decisions without being the face of the organization. The, right, the, and the, being the, subject the f- to the criticism sure. and, and sitting there with the media and talking and, to the media. And when it comes to the, the media and, and the fan base as a whole, right now, even if Dan Duquette wasn't really the mastermind behind signings like Chris Davis and uh, Darren Down O'Day uh, and Mark Trumbo, he's going to take the blame for that because he's the face. He's the, he's, face he's the guy, yeah. and, and he's always – so. And, and the same goes for if – He's the one to make trades over the next few months involving Manny Machado and perhaps Zach Britton, perhaps Adam Jones. If he's going to be that guy to make those deals, it, he's the face on it. He's the face of the guy who made those deals. I wrote yep. about uh, you know, the, the perception that Duquette really, you know, when you look back at what Duquette's quote unquote track record is mm-hmm. over his time with the Orioles, a lot of these contributing players f- for the team over the last five to six years weren't Duquette's doing. A lot of them were Andy McPhail's doing, you know, between Machado and and, and Adam Davis. Jones and Chris Davis and and Chris Tillman even. All right. those trades and and signings were done under McPhail's watch. Duquette has less, you know, less to show for his tenure. His probably his best move was probably the Wee and Chen move, and sure. and his second best move was probably not re-signing Wee and Chen. <laughs> right, but that gave you a little bit of an indication how he thinks. He wants to get a guy for four million, have him produce at a ten million dollar level, let somebody else pay him fifteen million dollars, and, and and we and got the best four years. And of where do Wei and Chen come from? The international market, exactly. Where this team is not, this they team don't is, even play. There. They they don't even. They're, they're the only one. They're the yeah. only team with without their toe in that water. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible the 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 lack of attention they pay to it um, compared to every other team, and it's just it, it's it's baffling because why wouldn't you try to get something from that, uh, even if it's a little, even if it's a player like you know Jonathan Scope who was an All Star last year. We had Dan Dan O'Dowd on. Was it last Saturday, Brittany, or was it the Saturday before? It was last Saturday, I think. I'm not sure, but we had Dan on, I think it was two Saturdays ago, and we talked about the international market, and and he was basically saying, you know, you really need to establish an academy down there in the Dominican or something, and so I I was put a price tag, I said, are you talking about all things in, you know, starting the academy, is that a 25, 30 million, he goes, oh my God, no. For four or five million dollars, you could have the academy and start signing players, we had Ben Badler on last year, uh, who does an incredible job on the international market, especially Latin America. And he and torched Cuba. the Orioles this week in a piece. Yeah. Uh, he talked about the fact that for the price of a utility infielder, three or four million, he said, even if you only wanted to, to attack pitching, he said, you could probably add 30 arms yep. a year for three, four million dollars. Of those 30 arms, of course, 15 of them will get hurt, 5 of them will stink, 10 of them will get muddled, but 5 arms a year 
could be hugely different, you know, to add you've five got to, good arms. You've got to sift through all the sand to find to find the treasures. I mean, it, 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 this is this is the case with any minor league system, even if you aren't using international signees. And if you are, there's just more of a chance to catch something in that net um, and and find something positive. We we've seen a number of international players throughout baseball that have fallen on their face uh, and have not worked out. But then there's the the few that do the Jose Abreu's of the world. Obviously, Shohei Otani is is doing his thing out in L.A. I mean, these guys do work out from time yep. to time, and if you're not trying to find them, you're not going to find them. The one thing that Dan did admit to Dan O'Dowd was he said that that Dan uh, Duquette is correct though. If you're only going to dab your foot on there, you it's it's a waste of time. Sure. You've got to spend the money on the scouting and get the right players. So far, you see the guys that we've gotten right. out of there. What was the art? The guy who uh, tours t- uh, t- um, shoulder or Tommy John, the outfielder, Dariel uh, oh, Alvarez, yes. uh, Henry Urudia. Urudia. Those are the kind of guys the Orioles sign out of Latin America. Well, and you're talking about a team that, has, that spends – less on scouting than any other team not overall not just in the international market they don't spend anything there they spend less on scouting in general than any other team and if you're not out there in the world trying to find these players you're not going to find them if you're not casting a big net you're not going to collect uh you know the the prizes for that let's uh take a break right now i got to tell you about one of my favorite places big bats let's talk about ken island's original sports bar i know uh andrew you don't live here anymore so i doubt you've been to big bats 216 st Clair place stevensville maryland if you're on your way down or back from the eastern shore there's no no place better to stop relax and eat it's a great place to watch the o's the nats the wizards and the caps stanley cup run and sample some of the best bar food around, whether it's sandwiches, salads, soups, subs, great wine list, great beer list. Let's talk about it. Ken Island's original sports bar, that is Big Bats Cafe. want to thank our uh, sponsors, and they include the Aberdeen Ironbirds. What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? To learn more about the Ironbirds' best ticket plan ever, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292. Back with Andrew Stetka and more O's Talk right after this on the Battle Round. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Ack profiles former Oriole Ben McDonald, who's gone from a somewhat disappointing career as a pitcher to being a beloved figure in the broadcast booth. Plus, a recap of Ozzie Newsom's final NFL draft and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Don't miss the action at Royal Farms Arena when your Baltimore Brigade takes the field Friday, June 15th against the Washington Valor. Enjoy fun for the whole family, including our post-game field party when you can meet the entire Brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com today. Bring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s 
Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4-30-18. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com slash pressboxsports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. Uh, we are back on the batter round, and if you've just tuned in, uh, that is not Craig Heist. It's somebody who looks better, smells better, and actually his content is much better <laughs> than Craig Heist, who he dearly loves as well as I do. Eh, don't, don't let him hear that. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, it's Andrew Stetka, son of Bill Stetka, longtime uh, PR director of the Baltimore Orioles, former News American writer, first person to ever as a unique uh, – media trivia question the first person to ever sit in for me when i started doing stand the fan and i had to take a day off was your dad okay okay very well that's back in 1983 i had to go somewhere for a weekend or something and i needed my shows covered and i asked your dad to fill in and he did um anyway uh andrew writes for the utah street report and also for mass and sports he lives in arizona and his day job is you you work actually in the news business now not the sports business what do you do i write news cover news edit edit copy uh out for a newswire service out there okay yeah we're we're actually getting some folks uh, that are asking questions on our thing first of all kate kate barry says hello hello 
I think she's saying it to both of us, but uh, she's probably shy, bashful about asking a question. But Tom Dunny says, do you see Gentry and Alvarez getting released and DJ Stewart and Mullins being called up after Memorial Day, uh, after the Memorial Day so-called meeting? Um, well, first of all, clue me in. Is there supposedly some kind of meeting that's taking place? Well, from, from what I remember, about a month or two ago, Dan Duquette was asked about evaluating this club. And, oh, and he said we don't said, really do he said, it. Until, we're not going to really do that until Memorial Day, right? Because Memorial Day is, you know, the quote unquote quarter pole of the season, and uh, you know that's kind of when. They, well, Memorial Day is here, folks. I mean, yep. the, and 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 the evaluation of this team is going to happen and it's going to happen evaluation is going to take about five minutes yeah it's going to happen swiftly it's it's time um rock kabako of massinsports.com had a in his blog this morning that dj stewart was pulled out of the game from north or didn't play for norfolk last night and could be he kind of hinted could be could be could be recalled to replace mark trumbo who who might be heading on the dl and so i don't know if that's definitely going to happen it seemed that rock was hinting that that might happen um, so here's a real quick question about DJ Stewart before we answer all of Tony's question, sure. or Tom's question, Tom Dunney's question. I've watched DJ Stewart. He has the body of like a Jim Traber. Right. Okay, he's faster. He's fast to foot. Uh, he's not a burner, but he's fast and quick. But he's a left fielder, not a right fielder. Sure. So if you have Trey Mancini in left, how are you gonna are you gonna play DJ Stewart in right? I've I've heard a number of different theories on this. Yeah, um, I've heard move Mancini to first, move Davis to right. <laughs> I've heard yeah. I've heard, you know there's a number of different things. I mean, th- this problem is obviously er, this team is obviously uh, cursed with the problem of having too many first base DH types. Correct. But if tr- if Trumbo's moved to the DL, um, that opens up one of those kind of right. moving pieces. Right. So I don't know. I mean, th- to me, if you play left field regularly, it, right field shouldn't be too much of a switch it obviously depends on the ballpark and obviously with camden yards there's a little bit of a difference with that out-of-town scoreboard and the mm-hmm. corner there um but th- the learning curve should be you know shouldn't be too incredibly steep if you were going to try to switch corner outfield spots i think it's something that frankly all outfielders should try to do if, if you pl- if you're a left fielder you should be trying to learn how to play right field as well it it, it just well, the opens ball, up your the versatility. coming off the bat differently. You got to sure. get used to it. Before Absolutely, you try. there's definitely differences uh, to it, but I, I I wouldn't see it as that big of an issue. I think more than anything, especially with the way this team has gone, they would want to evaluate something like yeah. that yeah. and and evaluate it at the big league level. And more than anything, evaluate DJ Stewart's bat at the big league level. That would be a big thing. I'm just trying to remember. I was in Durham uh, two weeks ago, and I think DJ Stewart was playing right field. In, in Norfolk against Durham, so it could be one of those things they've where they been, where they've, they've, been, they've had their eye on this. They could they could be. Uh, Cedric Mullins is on a hot streak right now. First of all, he's a great kid. Um, I I like DJ Stewart. I met DJ. Uh, he caught me out at uh, an Aberdeen Ironbirds game when I threw out the first pitch. I like him. I've heard mixed things about how he takes to coaching and things like that. He's a little bit brash. Cedric Mullins is the kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry <laughs> or something like that. Um, you think there's – I don't see that happening anytime soon unless the Orioles get much closer to trading Adam Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big factor here. And, and you know – I could see him going – I could see trying to, to move him to Norfolk 
Um, sure. You know, just but, to get but, a. I'll but kick. you mentioned Gentry and Alvarez and all these yeah. veteran types on the team too. We'll have to see if they get moved. If the Orioles do start moving pieces, Machado, Jones, Britton, when he eventually gets back, perhaps Brad Brock, if yeah. he's able to to you know ascertain any value for what he's done this year, um, they are going to have to start replacing these players with younger guys and DJ Stewart, Cedric Mullins. Um, eventually Austin Hayes, even though he struggled this year, all these guys are going to have to eventually come up and, and see what they're made of in the latter part of the year. Fascinating in talking about Austin Hayes is we all assumed he had a shot until they signed Colby Rasmus. I think a lot of us thought Hayes is just going to meteorically rise and he's going to take that job this year. Not only did that not happen, he didn't go to AAA. He went back to AA. And I get now that a lot of times you put your best prospects against the best in, prospects in AA. Sure. But it's just surprised, I think, a lot of us that he seems like he's taken one or two steps backwards offensively. Well, and everyone assumed even before the Rasmus deal that that once Anthony Santander and his Rule 5 status was up, that, that it would be a simple swap. Yeah. But that obviously wasn't in the cards with the way Hayes has performed this Correct. year. Correct. But I think eventually you have to figure out, is Austin Hayes a piece moving forward? It, and the same goes for Stewart and Mullins and, and all these prospects down there that they have. I, I wrote a little bit on Thursday. I was even puzzled as to when they demoted Caleb Joseph, why they would bring up Andrew Susak instead right. of Wins. Right. Why not get a look at Wins along with Cisco and find out if, 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 they've, got, the if, they, the if they've got something there? Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned a player I wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh Chance Cisco's been in the organization, I guess, four-plus seasons. Um, and one of the things we always said about Chance Cisco was, there's no question, his hit tool is going to work in the major leagues eventually. Uh, he's got to work on his defense, and we heard that as recently as last year. Sure. We heard it in spring training that he was probably going to go back and have to work on his fielding. Uh, his fielding has seemed to be pretty fine. Um his hitting has been far more troublesome than, than I expected. And last night on my Facebook Live, I finally went public with what's concerning to me about him. Uh, there was a player back before you were born, probably, Mike Young. You remember the name, of course. Played for the Orioles in 84, 85, right. 86. 85, I was incredibly – in the second half of 84, when he came up, I was critical of him. That was the year the Tigers ran away with it, and I think he was up – in September or maybe the last six weeks of the season. And I was somewhat skeptical about him. The following year in 85, I was torching him nightly on my talk show on FBR back then. And then all of a sudden, and his strikeouts to walks were terrible. I mean, like, uh, you know, 68 to 8 or something like that. Back at a time where it was a lot harder to do that. <laughs> exactly. So all of a sudden, I'm torching him. All of a sudden, Earl comes in. In mid-June, Young starts playing every day. Young starts hitting the cover off the ball. I have to go on the air and sort of say, mea culpa, I was wrong about Mike Young. But I'll tell you what, I turned out my initial reaction was right. What happened was pitchers were throwing him low fastballs, which he was absolutely killing. He had monstrous power. They started pitching him up. And in 86, he was a colossal failure when they were counting on him. That's what scares me with Chance Cisco. I'm seeing when you get up and in on him, he does not handle that at all. And in the major leagues, 
word gets around pretty quick. You've got to be able to adjust. adjust. And that's and that's the biggest thing for Chancisco is can he adjust? Can he take that next step? And then once he adjusts and the pitchers adjust back, can he readjust? That's we all know that this is the baseball is a game of adjustments and that's yep. how it goes. I think the biggest thing with Chancisco is you always have to figure out what they want in their catcher. Do they want a somewhat light hitting decent defensive catcher which i think most teams in baseball would be fine with yep you know there are very few buster posey gary sanchez's out there um guys that 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 hit the heck out of the ball um but don't really you know posey's a, a good defensive catcher sure. but, but sanchez leaves a lot to be desired um it, or are you more comfortable with a, a guy who's you know gonna hit around 200 220 oh, okay yeah and and give you decent defense I mean I, I think a lot of teams will be fine with that because you can bat a guy like that down eight nine in the order and make sure he's your backstop and and he can be your catcher for the next six seven eight years I don't think there's anything wrong with that but when you came in thinking Cisco was going to be more of an offensive threat and more of a liability behind the plate maybe those expectations just need to be recalibrated at the major league level. And maybe they, people need to realize he's not the offensive force that even Matt Wieters was. He's going to be a little less of a hitter than that, but pretty good defensively, better than, better than expected. A lot, lot better. In fact, throwing out nearly 50% of right. uh, would be base stealers. Uh, before we let you go in finishing up Tom's question, I don't really understand why Craig Gentry is still in this team and i got to be honest with you, I've now watched them a month. I don't understand. It's a sad commentary that they didn't have anything better in their system than Jace Peterson, right. who looks like Joe Girardi, by the way. <laughs> he, he does a little face, bit. Facial. He does a little bit. Uh, but, but as far as Alvarez, on a team with, which is so right-hand heavy, Alvarez I think Alvarez fits right now. Makes a little right sense now. as a pitch yeah. hitter, yeah. A, a part-time DH, DH. for sure. What's what's puzzling is the gentry move because you do have these young outfielders in the system and they are I don't want to say knocking on the door but they're standing outside of it at least um, and and those guys could be getting ready like we mentioned a couple minutes ago with Mullins DJ Stewart Austin Hayes um, with Peterson it is it is kind of weird because Peterson there's no one to really take his place. I mean, Tim Beckham got hurt, and the Orioles were kind of like, oh, well, I yeah, guess well, we, we don't have Ryan Flaherty. We don't have Flaherty anymore, and there's nothing really in the system in terms of infielders. And that's what's so concerning, too, yeah. with the fact that Machado is probably going to be traded over the next few weeks or months. Um, you know, Tim Beckham, I don't know if he's really a super big part of their future plans. I mean, maybe he's I guarantee you to Tobias Myers will be a part of the, the uh, Tampa Bay future. Right. I, I, Tim Beckham, you hope is maybe the replacement for Machado at shortstop. Cause I don't think he's a third baseman. Th that whole debacle I've written way too much about that yep. over the past few months. Um, and frankly, if Jonathan scope is out, is on his way out the door eventually here too, whether it's in a trade this year or after next year, they're going to have to replace him as well. The only position in the infield they really have set is first base, and that's <laughs> the one all, you don't we want. We all set. know what's going on there. So I mean, it's the infield to me is super concerning for those reasons. When you have to rely on Jace Peterson because there's nothing else you can rely on. Even if it's a, like I said, even if they're trading away a bunch of guys and bringing up young guys and want to just see the the youngsters play at the latter part of this year in a lost season. 
they don't even have anybody they could recall to replace Chase Peterson yeah. at third base. It's really, really shot. Really speaks volumes as to you know how thin it is in the farm system. No, you got a busy day ahead of you. I appreciate your coming in. I First appreciate you having me. We'll grab you from Arizona too. I did want to talk about the Diamondbacks, but we'll do that in a couple weeks. Sure. All right. There's plenty to talk about there too. All right. Thank you for coming. Anytime. In. It's Andrew Stetka. Before we uh, make our connections with uh, Bill Ordine. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Baltimore Brigade. Don't miss the action at Royal Farms Arena when your Baltimore Brigade takes the field on Friday, June the 15th against the Washington Valor. Enjoy fun for the whole family, including our post-game field party, when you can meet the entire brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com. That's BaltimoreBrigade.com. All right, we are here uh, and uh, let you know Bill Ordine due to join us in just a minute. Bill Latson going to join us at 11.05. Then we've got an interview with Mark Reynolds and Mel Antonin will join us a little bit later on the show. Bill Ordine is here and ready to go. Thank you, Andrew. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Andrew Stetka of uh, Masson, sports.com, and, of course, um, Utah Street Report. Joining us now on the horn is Bill Ordine, who is our gaming writer for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Bill, uh, a week ago today, you were probably just settling in in your spot at the uh, PressBox in uh, at Old Hilltop. Indeed. Yeah, and it was quite a day. You're right. Uh, and it's interesting, yeah. you not only said it was quite a day, you said it was actually one of the most exciting events that you've covered in your history. It, this is true. Uh, I have, and, and it, as I tried to explain, uh, it was the totality of of the moment and of the event. Um, as I may have mentioned to you, you know, uh, quite a few years ago, I covered what is a famous football game, the Fog Bowl, at Soldier Field in Chicago between uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Chicago Bears in the playoffs. And you know, the weather conditions were extraordinary that day, mm-hmm. and and. And the same was true at Pimlico. Um, the fog created this atmosphere that was otherworldly, frankly. And, um, you know, every Preakness is exciting because you're on the cusp of having a horse perhaps have completed two-thirds of the way to the Triple Crown. So every Preakness is momentous in its own way. Uh, and, and this one was, of course, no different in that respect. So, uh, but that the race that came about in that in those weather conditions with that fog, those horses coming out of the starting gate, and, and you couldn't even see them uh, in, until they came out of the fog bank down at the um, you know, far end of, of the racetrack, and then coming up the front stretch and disappearing again into the fog as they rounded the, the uh, clubhouse turn. And then, of course, the backstretch, you couldn't see him except perhaps a little bit on, on the big screen TV. And you really can only tell the, the duel between Justify and Good Magic by the sound of, by the roar of the crowd as they would pass, you know, each portion of the crowd. You could hear whether or not Good Magic had passed Justify and whether Justify had regained the lead. Yeah, it, uh, you know, not, not to wax too poetic about it, and I already have. It was really just an outstanding sports event. We're talking with Bill Ordine, gaming writer for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. 
Bill, uh, the fact that American Pharaoh won the uh, Triple Crown a couple of years back, I think it's yeah. been three years, has it kind of taken the pressure off of the need for another one, or has it kind of built in a, hey, we'd like to see a little spate of these, the way his history has played out? Well, I, the pressure that came off uh, by American Pharaoh is, is this. I mean, the, particularly because of California Chrome failing, you know, just prior to American Pharaoh, there was some pressure building that, that the whole structure of the Triple Crown was, needed to be adjusted somehow, right. some way, because it was just impossible for any horse to win the Triple Crown. It had been 37 years, uh, you know, since the firm had won it. And, and so there was that pressure building that this was an impossible task. So something's got to be done here, whether we have more time in between the three Triple Crown races or more likely, you know, that we impose some sort of requirement that horses that run at the Belmont have to have had some experience racing either in the Kentucky Derby or the Preakness. Right. You know, that, that might have been more, more of a feasible requirement. So the pressure is off for that. American Farrow proved it can be done. So I think that's where the pressure comes off, to tell you the truth. Um, what are your ch- what are, after what you witnessed last Saturday? And by the way, I just want to let everybody know this is the bat around. I know we talk baseball. We're taking a brief respite, and there is a baseball reason that we have Bill Ordine, but I just wanted to get this out of the way. After witnessing what you witnessed the other day, um, there are some that say that the horse Justify was all out to hold on to win. There are others that say that maybe a little bit of the fog was in Mike Smith's head and he didn't f- accurately calculate how much he needed to get out of the horse. Um, what are your th- chances right now in your estimation of the horse winning the Triple Crown? Um, I, he, um, I, I think that he's a real iffy proposition to win the Triple Crown. I mean, we saw how Bravazzo and Tenfold were closing on him, mm-hmm. you know, that, down the stretch. And that's what every, is in everyone's head, that that race took an awful lot out of that horse. I'm talking about Justified. Yeah. And, and Baffert, Bob Baffert, his trainer, you know, the very famous trainer, Bob Baffert, who won the Triple Crown with American Pharoah, said that, no, this horse, he's a big, strong, you know, he's a big, strong lug. He can, no, that race isn't going to take too much out of him. Plus, of course, you get the three weeks between the Freakness and the Belmont. Uh, But uh, in my not very expert opinion, uh, I I would say that I I think that Justified, you know, is going to be um, a tough, tough, he's looking at a tough, race in Belmont, and one of the reasons is not just because there's going to, you know, uh, the other horses, perhaps from the Preakness that could challenge them, you know, there's always this business of horses way, laying in ambush up in New York who have been held out of the Derby, who have been held out of the Preakness, and who have been training specifically for the mile and a half, and uh, it makes it tough for any horse, and yeah, I, from what we saw at the end of the Preakness, it is hard to imagine that Justify can hang on for the mile and a half, to tell you the truth. Um, one, one sort of um, uh, hard line in the sand that uh, Justify seems to have broken, Bill, is in, in the history of the Triple Crown, 
we have never had a horse that hasn't run as a two-year-old win the race. Is it possible that little extra that the horse gets from having three weeks instead of two and having been somewhat lightly raced in his career might just give him that little extra something to win with the understanding that I think the only way he wins this race in the Belmont is to come off the pace. Yeah, and that would not be in character for Justify. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he's got he's up he's up against a tough situation. I understand that. Yeah, uh, I mean that 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 is not his character to come off the pace, and not only that, we don't know what the weather is going to be like mm-hmm. in New York, right? And you know, here in Baltimore, uh, I mean, that horse had to be out in front. You should you sure don't have want to have a horse getting mug kicked in his face. You know, on a muddy track, but you know we don't know what the weather's going to be right, like in, right. in New York. It might be perfect. You know, eighty degrees and the birds are chirping. Yep. Um, but be, having been held out as a two-year-old, actually, Stan, that really had more impact on how one would handicap or preview the Kentucky Derby uh, as opposed to the Belmont. All right, I got you. Uh, now, right. I, I think what they're looking at for the Belmont is just to build this horse's stamina. Make sure he keeps eating, that he is, you know, maybe even puts on a couple of pounds between now and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more the concern. I, the fact that whether or not a horse, you know, they were calling it the uh, curse of Apollo, uh, you know, that no horse had, had won the Derby, you know, without running his two-year-old, that made more sense, to, you know, in terms of the Derby because, you know, you're obviously closer to, there's less time between your two-year-old campaign and the Derby than than what we're talking about now. All right, let's uh, turn our attention back to, at least in the neighborhood or the zip code of baseball, uh, (laughs) the the obliteration by the Supreme Court of the PASPA legislation, which was enacted, it was enacted in 92, correct? Correct. Uh, What is this going to do, first of all, in the state of Maryland? Has there been an inkling that the governor is so inclined to call a special session? I have not heard a word about it. Not a word. Not a peep. Crickets. Crickets on that one, uh, Stan. Uh, And, you know, to review for listeners real quickly what what we're talking about here with a special session, in Maryland, for us to have sports wagering, even though the Supreme Court has cleared the way by getting rid of the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act in 1992 that basically prohibited states from allowing sports gambling outside the state of Nevada. Um, now we've had that, that boilerplate out of the way. In, in Maryland, the voters have to vote on whether or not we have a major expansion of gambling. And they have to do it in a statewide election. We have a statewide election coming up here in, the, in 2018. Now, for such a question to wind up on the ballot in November, the General Assembly, the Maryland General Assembly, uh, has to pass legislation putting that question on the ballot, and the governor then has to sign it. However, the General Assembly has already finished its work for calendar year 2018. I mean, they, they're in session during the winter, January, February, March, early April. That came and went, and there was no legislation putting the sports wagering question on the November ballot. Then, of course, the Supreme Court comes along, and as we know, a couple of weeks ago in May, 
you know, as you used the word, obliterated PASPA. And well, I'm using your yeah. word. It was your word first. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. You're right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, whichever one of us uses it, it, it was true. I mean, the Supreme Court just blew up that law. And states that already had legislation in place that said, what, you know, if then, if PASPA goes away, then we want to have sports wagering in our state, they are ready to go. Uh, Maryland before they get to that point, before they go, needs to put this in front of the voters. Well, the only way we can get it in front of the voters in 2018 is if the governor calls a special session, brings the General Assembly back, and votes on this thing to put this to, to allow us voters, we voters, to, uh, to go to the polls in November and vote on it. Well, yeah, you're right. There is no indication that Governor Hogan uh, is going to call a special session to do that. Um, as some listeners may know, the state um, House, House of Delegates, did pass legislation. When that legislation went to the Senate, it just withered and died. So we are looking at the prospects, Dan, of not getting another crack at this until the next statewide election, which is in the year 2020, correct? Yep. yep. So, yep. we're, so the fact that the governor isn't moving on this expeditiously is a sign that he's not really uh, prioritizing this legislation for the state that, of America. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. Uh, now, uh, while it doesn't affect uh, people necessarily in the state of Maryland that are listening to this, I wanted to ask you a question. In the old days, uh, and I'm 66 now, so they're, they, the old days are a long time now, betting yeah. on Betting on baseball meant betting on outcomes of games or right. a, or a parlay of a string of games. Sure. Um, with daily fantasy, sports has done has changed the face of how you bet on sports. Where you're betting on um, you you have a salary cap and you're competing against like-minded players who have to pick the same basic type of players, uh, meaning you have to have a couple outfielders, a couple infielders, a catcher, and a pitcher, and compete categorically. Um, yeah. is, is legalized sports betting going to change that and make the emphasis back on betting on outcomes, Bill? No, I, I think that there will be a combination of that. Uh, certainly, you know, betting on outcomes, it has been the traditional way that sports wagering on baseball has occurred, and, and I anticipate and can I, that. Can any, I interject? Can I just interject? The sure. betting on outcomes is what sports has feared could be gerrymandered or rigged. Is the betting on outcomes of games correct? Well, that has been their stated that that had been their stated objection. You're right. right. There's not this feeling like, boy, we're going to have. Uh, Chris Davis and uh, Manny Machado play exceedingly well to 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 cause a, an outcome in daily fantasy that's going to you know win some people a lot of money. That that hasn't yeah. been a concern. Yeah, you are right. And and early on in the debate over daily fantasy, one of the arguments in favor of daily fantasy in terms of of game integrity was that. Uh, the zillions of combinations of players that might make up a person's daily fantasy lineup, those were, there, there were so many of them, the multiplicity 
of those lineups virtually made it impossible yeah. to try and quote unquote rig a daily fantasy outcome right. where one could imagine that if it were just an outcome based wager that it is much easier sure. to quote unquote rig the outcome of the, of the wager. Okay. So yeah, that that was part of it. The fact that there was this multiplicity of lineups. Uh and, and I, I will tell you this, as the daily fantasy companies begin to size up the, you know, the uh, sports wagering landscape now, now that the sports wagering landscape has changed, you know, we may see sport daily, the daily fantasy companies offering, well, I'll call them wagers now, offering contests, wagers, that are predicated on outcomes and not some assortment yeah. of player lineups. I've been. I listen a great deal to XM Fantasy now, and yeah. that seems to be something that is percolating in the conversation. Is that with legalized betting on sports, the emphasis is most likely to go back to outcomes, uh, where people feel that they have a much better chance at competing and winning money than going up against these, uh, you know, strategies right. of some geeks from Harvard and Yale. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna throw a little bit of cold water on the prospect of that happening in the near future. Okay. Uh, by saying this, I mean, the daily fantasy um, companies have successfully allowed uh, customers to play against each other in contests across most state lines, mm-hmm. predicated on the notion that what they offer these daily these daily fantasy contests are not sports wagering. And and so consequently, you know, you could be here in Maryland and you could pick your lineup and you could be in a pool of players of thousands of, of competitors, your your competitors, your peers, you know, in New York and Illinois and California and Florida. Now, if in fact they're, they DraftKings They're arguing back, they're arguing that it's a game of skill, correct? Yeah, well that was yeah, and that was part of it. Yeah. And, and i got to tell you, so is sports wagering. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not quite sure what this game of skill, whether or not that game of skill argument would have actually held up in, in a court case. Right. Um, but, I mean, what their, their point was is that uh, fantasy contests, because of their complexity, uh, stood apart from uh, sports wagering and were not covered by PASPA. I mean, they were saying that the daily fantasy contests were not covered by passports mm-hmm. because of UGA, another federal law <laughs> that we haven't talked about on this broadcast. Right. The Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act actually went out of its way to, to say that fantasy contests were not covered under this prohibition of Internet gambling um, that, that was outlined in UGA. So that's kind of what the Daily Fantasy guys hung their hats on. Now let me get back to the notion of an outfit like DraftKings. We've got offering, like, we've got like about two minutes, Bill. Go ahead. Okay, offering a game outcome, you know, based contest. You know, they, they could still run afoul of the Wire Act mm-hmm. in trying to do that across state lines. So even if DraftKings and FanDuel were to offer outcome based contests. I think it would still only be within states within that allow, the states that allow legalized gambling. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Jersey. No, I agree. I agree with that. 
I, yeah. I was looking down the road. Uh, right, that. right, exactly. So let yeah, me. We've yeah. got we've got about a minute and a half, and and I would love to have you back on in a couple weeks to to pick up on this thread. So obviously, you've noticed and you've known for some time that the four big leagues, the NBA, the NHL, NFL, and MLB, they are embracing this like, uh, you know, like the, the long-lost uh, Aunt Tilly who's got a lot of money. Yeah. Um, do you think that these leagues are entitled to a portion of the game, uh, or is this just another way to screw fans that you've got the operators are going to need to make money, the leagues are going to be to make money, and it's the games are going to be set up in such a way that you'll the the fan will just win less money. Yeah, personally, I am offended. Yeah, uh, that that the leagues want to want to take some of the some money off the top uh, because they are already going to be beneficiaries. Right. Uh, the, quite, the, this is going to lead to higher ratings, higher interest absolutely. in the sports. There's no question about it. I mean, they're going to you know the leagues will make a ton of money. Just because people will be able to, will have more accessibility to sports wagering, and on top of that great benefit right. that sports leagues are going to enjoy, they want to say, "Oh, and by the way, let us skim some cream off the top of this." Right. And and of course, you know who's going to get hurt in that? It's the, the customer, fan. the sports the fan. Sports fan. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the odds will be you know lessened. The payoffs will not be as good. You know, those are the people who want that. That's whose pocket that will come out. Of. I, I want to just point this out. And I know we've only got about thirty seconds, but I'm privy to the fact that uh, Dick Cass recently spoke to the Ravens Roost, the Council of Ravens Roost presidents, and you know one of the things obviously the fans wanted to talk about was the national anthem thing, but yeah. there was an uproar over lost value in the PSLs that people purchased, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. People had some kind of, in my opinion, misguided or naive notion that that was guaranteed to go up in value. Yeah. Uh, I just maintain that the angst that fans have over something like that, I think these leagues ought to think long and hard or their, or their partners in the leagues before they let the leagues decide this. Somebody might want to step up and champion the fans that say, hey, We've gone to the well enough on these fans, and we've sunk them, and now we're finally returning a little bit of it with uh, with less egregious pricing on hot dogs and beers and things like that. But maybe this would be a way to give something back to the fans, is not put our hands in their pocket again. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree a thousand percent on that. All you know, right. Let's leave it at that today. I promise in the next couple of weeks, Maybe on Belmont Sunday, Saturday, we can uh, get you on again. All right? I look forward to it, Stan. All right. Bill, thank you very much. Always You're appreciate welcome. it. All right. We're going to make our connections right now with Bill Latson from MLB.com. But before we do, I wanted to get a word in edgewise about Saturday, June the 2nd. Witness the first ever game of the Women's Professional Lacrosse League as the Baltimore Brave take on the Philadelphia Fire before the Chesapeake Bayhawks face off against the defending MLL champion, Ohio Machine. Tickets are available at thebayhawks.com. Plus, listen to Glenn Clark Radio this coming week as someone will win a family four-pack of tickets to the games at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis. Uh, That's the Bayhawks. Listen to Glenn Clark this week on how you can win a family four-pack of tickets to the games on June the 2nd. 
All right, Bill Latchin is on with us. Bill, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Stan. How, how are you? Uh, Bill, you've become a, a good friend, probably not as good a friend to me as you are to Craig Heiss, but it's always appreciated that you spend some time with us on the show. Sure, anytime. Hey, it looks, I, I, I always like to know what you're working on when we have you on. And what, did you spend about a week down in Miami recently? No, no, actually he was in New York. Oh, that's I right. They were playing the Mets. That's right. Mets, in, correct. Okay. And I spent time uh, with the Marlins. And I got to tell you, I think the Marlins are going to be okay. Okay. Um, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in baseball like most teams, like most experts have said. Right. Um, they, they have better pitching, believe it or not. Um, they still need some hitting. I mean, it didn't hurt that Martin Prado, uh, you know, had the hamstring injury yesterday. But uh, I think they're going to be okay. I, I think they're going to rise before you know it. Uh, you know, there's no question. I do an MLB power rankings each week. And the Marlins, while they've slipped the 29th at times, they are more like 24th, 25th, with the chance to get a little better as the season goes on as some of these older teams uh, fall by the wayside a little bit. They could end up being 22-23 this year. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Don Mattingly has done an incredible job, in my opinion. I just, I just think that offensively, they can improve offensively and maybe a little bit defensively. Uh, I think they'll be okay. You know, I'm not impressed with Justin Bohr at first base. Right. He's not good defensively. Um Lewis Brinson, while he's good in center field, he looks overmatched uh, at the plate. So hopefully he can improve. He's one of the top prospects in the big leagues right now. So hopefully things will get better with him. Yeah, uh, recently he was hitting 164 with a 208 on base percentage, I think, b- before that uh, series started with the Mets. Um, Correct. He's been, he's been a bit of a bust in the Christian Yelich trade. Well, I, I, right, right now I wouldn't call him a bust, but, uh, you know, that's still early for that. But I would say, yes, he's off to a slow start, and he's good defensively, and hopefully he can improve, uh, you, know, off, you know, he can improve offensively because uh, he had a good spring training, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can get that going. Tell me about the status of Don Mattingly there. I've known Don for a while. We did a publication on the closing of Yankee Stadium, and uh, Ray Schulte, who handles his uh, autograph stuff and appearances and uh, some of his representation, uh, introduced us, and we ended up having Mattingly sign a bunch of those magazines. Uh, is he in good, solid standing there, despite the fact the team still may lose 90 to 93 games, something like that, this year? I would say he's in great standing. Okay. Um, him and Jeter are getting along. He knows what the deal is there. I mean, the deal is they have to rebuild. Yeah. And it's, and they have to rebuild through the farm system. And the way Don Manley has handled it, from what I've seen, has been really outstanding. I mean, I'm telling you, if you saw their pistol staff last year, I mean, I, I would have said, wow, they really miss Jose Fernandez big yeah. time. Yeah. But now they have some nice prospects, Caleb Smith. I, I like what they have. Okay. I really do. So their bullpen's okay. So, and I, I think so this they'll is be a, okay. This is a situation where Jeter's longtime relationship with Mattingly may pay benefits to Mattingly where he's not going to be the Dale's fame 
of the Marlins, you know, where he was hired to be the guy only to be jettisoned for Rich Renteria, who then was jettisoned to get Joe Madden. They're, they're, they're invested in Mattingly down there. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, they know what the deal is. I mean, you know, I, I think um, the, since opening day, in my opinion, I think the Marlins have received a bad rap. And uh, I think they're better than what people expected. I really do. Yep, they're better and they're more affordable for the ownership right now. Um, was Don Mattingly, I see a picture of Mattingly and uh, Derek Jeter apparently at a batting cage. Was that taken by MLB.com? It, did Jeter come to New York for the Mets series? No, no he did not. Okay. Um, what, what happened was I had an interview with Mattingly, which was, which was great. And, uh, you know, um, he was honest. And, you know, and also, you know, he has a history in New York. So, obviously, sure. I want to ask him questions about uh, New York. He still loves the place. And uh, I think he's really looking forward to the future. I think he knows that uh, things are going to be better. I mean, okay. he's got Peter it. And, and, and the ownership group, I mean, they've backed up what they said they're going to do. And I think they're doing well right now. Very cool. Very cool. Um Let's talk a little bit about um, the Marlins. The, they, you mentioned the first baseman, Boer, the catcher, Real Muto. Do they mm-hmm. have much else left in the tank to trade? And, and what do you rank the chances of Real, Muti, Real Muto ending up being a piece of the future rather than the last piece to be traded? You know what? I think he's going to be a piece of the future. Okay. He is really that good. You know, you, you can tell by watching him that he really wants to win. Yep. So I, I, I think uh, he'll be there. I think Stalin Castro will be there. I mean, I think Stalin Castro has been a godsend for them. Yep. He's... You know, a, a veteran presence uh, along with Prado, even though Prado's hurt. So I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Bohr was traded because I don't see him I mean, they need a defensive uh, first baseman. baseman there. Right. So he's a he's so, a he's an American League DH type. Yes, Boy. yes, without a doubt. All right. So I, I can see him traded, but in terms of Real Muto and Stalin Castro, I can see them st- sticking around because of the way they've been playing. All right, a terrific uh, slew of articles and and Q and A with Don Mattingly, uh, but by Bill Latson on the MLB.com website. Uh, about the Marlins, an interesting take. Uh, Bill, yesterday you and I, when we were communicating about your appearing on the show today, uh, we we both uh, were struck with the news that Hanley Ramirez had been DFA'd, and I had read back in spring training that it didn't look like the Red Sox were going to fall into the trap of letting him play that much uh, because of that vesting option for 2019 which I think is 19 or $21 million. Um, he got off to a terrific start, but he was right. 0 for his last 20. His batting average had slipped to, like, 252. Um, right. They, they got out while the getting was good, I think. I would say so. I mean, they want to play other players. Um, I think um, this says a lot about Alex Cora, that he doesn't care that if a, if a guy has – a history has a great record mm-hmm. in terms of a batting average. Um, you're going to have to play hard now. 
So I, I got to hand it to Alex Cora. He wants to win now, and um, I think that was a great move by Alex Cora. I got to ask you a question. I understand how his payment for this year works out. He's probably owed, I'm guessing, about 12 to $13 million more on his contract. I understand if, say, the Marlins tomorrow, and I know that's not going to happen, but if the Marlins picked him up, all they would pay is the prorated portion of the minimum salary. The Red That's Sox correct. are on the hook for the rest of the 2018 salary. Does his, vest, does his vesting option, though, if some team were to sign him without him becoming a free agent, does the, the signing team pick up that vesting option for 2019? No, no. They do no, not. definitely not. Okay. No. All right. Do yeah. you, who do you see him being a fit with? To be honest with you, and you and I talked about this uh, yesterday via text. Yeah. I don't. I don't see him going anywhere. Really? I Interesting. Mean, I mean, this is what I think. I mean, you're seeing a change in baseball now. People want to get younger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't. Unless I don't even see the Yankees trying to pick him up or the Mets. I mean, you, you, I mean, you're seeing what these teams are doing now. They just want to get younger. And I don't know how much game Henry Ramirez has, you know, in, in, in okay. the tank. But again, you, again, I, my I point see. is, you'd probably the signing team would probably get him for about three or four hundred thousand dollars. So yes, it would be cheap. Yeah, but I mean, still, I mean, I mean, he's not going to play shortstop, right? Uh, and he's, you know, he's a first baseman DH. Yeah, he's a first baseman DH now. Yeah. That's correct. All right. That's correct. Moving so, on to a little bit different uh, notion was a, a somewhat shocking trade how early in the season this came about. The Orioles are playing the Tampa Bay Rays. It wasn't even mentioned during the game by the Oriole broadcasters, but I check um, MLBTradeRumors.com a couple times each night. And I see that the Mariners and the Rays made a somewhat stunning trade last night with the Mariners pulling in veteran outfielder Denard Spann and um, relief pitcher Alex Comey for two young pitchers, uh, two uh, Andrew Moore and Tommy Montero, I think it is. Yes, yes. Um, my, my take on that is, you know, the Mariners want to go to the playoffs this year. They're playing for now. Right. And... You know, they've been hit by the injury bug, PED suspensions, so they needed to make a move to improve the offense. So, um, Denard Spans, for example, um, he's going to help in the in the leadoff spot because you lost uh, uh, the uh, the center fielder there. D. Gordon with a D. foot Gordon. injury, yeah. Yeah, yes, and, and then you need a... You know, it doesn't help to get more pitching with Alex Colome. Yeah. You know, he's a reliever. I think it's a great move. And I think that will help uh, the Mariners in a big way. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating trade for them. And it looks like the Rays, despite the fact they're overachieving a little bit on the field, they continue to always be willing to trade today for not tomorrow, but next week. You know, in other words, these two young pitchers, I know Andrew Moore is like 23 or 24, but last year's trade of Beckham for Tobias Myers, who's 20, it makes me wonder that uh, if the Rays aren't about to trade Chris Archer in the very near future. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you've seen what they've done since spring training. They've been traded uh, 
They've been trading a lot of their veterans, Steven Souza Jr., right. for one. So, you know what? I, I think they're looking to the future, rely on minor leagues like they've done in the past, and see what happens. Hey, you know what's interesting about that trade? They picked up a million, eleven million dollars, roughly in salary with Calame and uh, Denard Span, which is exactly what they're going to save with Robinson Cano. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, this is going to help them. This is going to keep them in the race. Are they going to win the division? I don't know, or the wild card. But uh, you know, it's still early, uh, Stan. I mean, we're in May. Hey. So let's see how how this lasts and. Uh, you know, it could be a good season for them. Hey, before we let you go this week, and I know we'll have you back on in the next few weeks and we can start to talk about some other issues. Uh, in the last week, uh, Sergio Romo has started three games to date, and I think he'll start tomorrow a fourth time. Um, your thoughts on this? Um, they're, they're starting Ryan Stanek tonight, who only figures to pitch one or two innings. Your thoughts on uh, Kevin Cash's experiment with uh, getting a – a relief pitcher starting ball games. It feels like spring training. <laughs> uh, I'm not. Uh, You're not a fan. No, I'm not a fan. You know, Stan. I mean, I think you know. You know me all this time. You know, yeah. I'm an old school guy. I can be new school when I want to, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I don't like it at yeah. all. I'd rather see a starting pitcher in there and. And just take it from there. All right. Well, it's been interesting. They won the first game they did it, but I think they've lost the last two that they've tried it. So we'll see. Or the last three, I think, that they've they've tried it. Uh, Bill Latson, many thanks for being on with us on the show. We'll catch up with you in the next couple weeks. Again, some really good writing and Q&As. Bill Latson on MLB.com. He's been with them since 2002. He's one of the best in the business. Thanks for being on with us, Bill. Thank you so much, Dad. All right. There you have it, Bill Latson. Um, we are going to take a timeout right now. Is that correct? Oh, no, we were going to take the timeout with the Mark Reynolds after the Mark Reynolds interview. Yeah, we're going to Mark Reynolds. All right, we're all queued up. Craig Heist knew he wasn't coming in this week, but he wanted to be a part of the show. Uh, and seriously, he likes to take something off of my plate. It was really nice of him to spend some time talking to a former Arizona Diamondback, former Baltimore Oriole, former Colorado Rocky, and now a Washington National, Mark Reynolds. Stan, thanks a lot. We're here with Mark Reynolds, the former Oriole, and he joined the Nationals two weeks ago in Arizona, and it's been pretty productive uh, so far. What are your impressions of the new team? Um, you know, just trying to help, help this team win as many games as possible and uh, hopefully stick around for a while. How does somebody in this day and age who hits 30 homers and drives in 97 and hits the ball like you did last year not get a bite in the offseason? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's my age. Uh, you know, teams are trending younger. Um, you know, and I feel like there's a you know handful of teams that feel like they can win the World Series, and, the, you know, the rest of the teams are following the, uh, the Cubs-Astros model of losing and, and gaining draft picks and getting young talent. So, you know, I guess that pool of teams that, that needed, uh, needed someone – or that, that could use someone like me uh, didn't need me. So um, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, unfortunately some injuries happen, and, uh, you know, I was in the right spot at the right time. Yeah, I was going to say, bad news for you, but the good news is you're able to latch on here, and this is a team that's been to the postseason for the last six years and built to win now. Yeah, that was a big draw when I signed. Uh, 
had some other offers from teams that were rebuilding and uh you know it wasn't really uh sparking my interest that much so um you know when riz called and i got the chance to go down and get ready in uh in west palm and and um you know i jumped on the opportunity so um it worked out like i said and you know i'm just looking forward to seeing what we can do as a team this is your 12th year in the majors and your eighth team uh is that a little weird for you, or is that just life in the major leagues now? Uh, it's life in the major leagues, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm used to it. Uh, finding a place to live, uh, moving around, moving my, bringing my family everywhere with me. It's, 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 you know, it's rough. But uh, we did get a condo the other day, so we're all squared away there, and uh, they'll be back up once school gets out. And um, that's part of the life. Really, where's the condo? It's uh, right across the street, right back here uh, on M Street, I believe it is. So you know. I'm, Got to play, walk to the stadium, and uh, everything's good. And with traffic in this town, that's always a good thing. Figured that out real quick. I went and looked at a place like four miles from here, and it took me a half hour to get there, and I'm like, no, this isn't going to work out. So the closer, the better. Uh, You're 15 home runs away from 300, and having covered Cal Ripken as long as I did, you know, Cal used to say you play long enough, the big round numbers start to come your way. Have you given that much thought what 300 would mean to you? Uh, I haven't really given it much thought what it would mean, but I have, you know, it's in it's in my sights. Uh, it's something that I want to accomplish, whether it be this year, whenever, next year, if, I, if I'm able to latch on somewhere. So it's a number, it's a goal of mine that I want to get to, and, um, you know, I just think it'd be pretty neat to... Say so, yeah, I hit 300 homers in the big leagues. This team has gone through its fair share of injuries the first month and a half of the season, and this week we saw a youngster in Juan Soto come up here and uh, hit a home run in his first at bat in his first start in the major leagues. And uh, the last 19-year-old uh, to hit a home run in the major leagues was Bryce Harper. So some similarities there. But what have you seen out of Soto in the three, four games that he's played? Um, well, obviously. Tremendous power. Um, what impressed me the most yesterday, I think he had a 2-0 count against a lefty and took a 2-0 slider off the plate. You know, most young guys are, heck, most hitters are geared up ready to swing, and he took it. And, you know, he had three walks yesterday, and, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, his patience at the plate is, is very impressive. And, you know, he looks like he knows what he's doing, and, you know, he's been a spark plug, man. You know, he bring up some young, young fresh uh players that are hungry and want to want to prove themselves and sometimes that's what a, a veteran club like this needs and that's one of the things about this club is the amount of depth that it does have in the system yeah definitely uh there's a lot of good players when i was down in syracuse um i think you know fetty's pitching today you know he, he threw the ball well for him for us down there and you know even like boomer and all these guys coming up helping out um you know just plugging holes until everybody gets healthy and and uh you know when the, when this when the all-star team we have on the DL gets gets back, you know, we'll be a tough club to, to play. You think about Eaton and, and Zim and, you know, some other guys, uh, some bullpen issues that have cropped up injury-wise, but the whole thing is if you can get Murph back, you know, Weeders, the whole nine yards, this is going to be a pretty potent offense. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be um, the team that I think that Riz envisioned having on the field, you know, in spring training, so... Uh, you know, he probably didn't think he'd have me hitting a four-hole for him in, in May. So it's uh, once we get these guys back, we're, you know, we'll uh, be a, a force to be reckoned with in the National League and, um, you know, hopefully get on a roll and win some games and, and get where we want to be in October. Your best year was uh, back in 09, I believe it was the MVP year with the 44 home runs. Uh, and you've, you've gone through your fair share of injuries throughout your career. But uh, 
When you look at that, what do you remember about that year in particular? Um, just one of those years where everything kind of came together for me. Um, you know, playing in Arizona, having a couple years under my belt, having that confidence knowing I can I can play at this level. And, you know, balls were hitting the barrel and, and leaving the yard. You know, it was a fun year. Stole some bags that year, too. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where everything was kind of clicking for me from April to September, and uh, it was fun, a fun ride to be on, and, um, you know, hopefully, I don't know if I can repeat that, but get somewhere close to it like I did last year, and, and uh, you know, just helping teams win. Because you helped the Orioles get to the playoffs the one year, uh, was there any anybody that really kind of influenced you or that you looked up to as you were getting to establish yourself in the big leagues? Yeah, uh, probably Tony Clark, uh, play, his work ethic was unmatched, uh, watching him go about his routine daily. Uh, his calmness that he had about him and the way he uh, prepared was something that I paid attention to a lot as a youngster. Um, you know, and, uh, and my role now trying to to do, be kind of a silent leader and do my routine, do my work, and kind of maybe hopefully rub off on some of these young guys. Mark, congratulations on being here, number one, helping this team get to where they want to go. And as is the case with a few guys that have come through here, I get to cover you twice now in two different places. That's it. All right. Thanks, man. All right, our thanks again to Craig Heiss for uh, touching base with an old friend and, and one that i got to be honest with you, I'm a little mystified that the Orioles weren't in on uh, Mark Reynolds, uh, you know, and signed Colby Rasmus and Danny Valencia before signing Mark Reynolds. Um, I'm not quite sure of the difference in monies. They signed both Rasmus and Valencia way earlier then Reynolds signed with uh, the Nationals, and Reynolds uh, probably signed a, a deal which was a minor league deal with an opt-out and uh, that, and he made it in no time up to the major leagues. But I think Mark Reynolds, uh, uh, especially the couple of years that he had in Colorado after leaving the Orioles, and let me just see for one second. I think he actually played out there about four years uh, let's see if I can get to that quickly enough. Mark Reynolds, baseball reference. Okay, here we go. Mark Reynolds played, he actually, after leaving the Orioles, it's funny, I'd forgotten, he signed with Cleveland to play there in 13, played briefly with the Yankees, hit 21 homers, and knocked in uh, 67 runs in 2013, then went to Milwaukee and St. Louis. God, I'd forgotten those those things. But his years in Colorado, he put up, were both pretty interesting years. Hit 282 and 267. Hit 14 home runs in 2016 with 53 runs batted in. Then in 17, hit 30 home runs and knocked in 97 runs. And again, the one thing that those those numbers show uh, are the batting average. It's one thing for your power numbers to go up uh, playing in Colorado, but his batting average, and I got to tell you, the other thing that went down somewhat significantly were strikeouts. Last year, he had 593 plate appearances, struck out 175 times, but walked 69 times. Go back to go back to the years when he was a young free swinger, 204, 223, 211 strikeouts back in those days. 
Um, so, again, Mark Reynolds, to me, I know that the Orioles were probably fearful that with Trumbo and Davis in the lineup, it would be too much duplication. But they then turned around and signed Colby Rasmus, who was a low on-base percentage guy. Again, here are some of Mark Reynolds' uh, on-base percentages uh, the last two years. And again, skewed a little bit by being in Colorado. 352 last year, 356. St. Louis the year before, 315. But again, the on-base percentage of Trumbo and Davis um, uh, of the past couple of years, uh, he would have fit in fine. Uh, probably would have much rather had him than Danny Valencia or Colby Rasmus. Um, anyway, we're at 1131 right now. We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, we will um, chat a little bit about the standings in Major League Baseball and then uh, close out with our last guest of the day which will be none other than my old friend Mel Antonin. Right now, though, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite places. And next Friday, i got to go down. Uh, I will not be here next Saturday. I think Glenn Clark is filling in. Uh, but I've got to go down Friday to be uh, on hand for the Ravens Roost Convention and emceeing the uh, parade on Saturday morning. So um, it'll be fun to be down there, uh, but always on the way down. I make a point of stopping at Ken Island's original sports bar. It's right over the Bay Bridge, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to and from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's games. The O's play today at 410. The Nats, the Wizards, or the Caps in their Stanley Cup run, they will now square off against the Las Vegas Golden Knights, um, and sample the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, subs, great wine list, great list of beers there. You can eat inside or outside. It's all there for you at Big Bats Cafe, Ken Island's original sports bar. What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? With the Ironbirds' best ticket plan, you'll get to see fireworks, a national entertainment act, or a special guest appearance every game, while reaping the rewards of a season seat member like a unique giveaway and a priority access to playoff tickets and special events all for just $50 a seat. For more information, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410 297 that's 410-297-9292. You and your family don't want to miss out on the Ironbird's best ticket plan ever. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Get Memorial Day savings right now on over 1,300 new and used Toyotas, Chevys, 
SUVs, trucks, cars, minivans, etc. at Jerry's Auto Group. Up to $11,000 off every vehicle in stock and plenty with financing as low as 0%. Have you been putting off getting a new or gently used vehicle? Well, it's May and no better time to go test drive one than now. So head over to Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road and Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing with approved credit. Savings very by model. Sale ends May 31st. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, college football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And we are back on the bat around here and uh, joining us now. And um, he's somebody I respect a great deal, does a great job, did for years with USA Today. He now does double duty over on Mass and Sports, both on TV, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. He's a regular voice there. And he also writes for MassInSports.com. That is Mel Anton. And Mel, how are you? Hey, good, Stan. Good to be with you this morning. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to you. And, of course, we thank all of our veterans for their service to this country and some who have paid the ultimate price. Yeah, it's uh, it's an important holiday. I hope people take it seriously because, as you said, it's <laughs> the brave men and women that serve yeah. are absolutely incredible. Yeah, we're the you and I are part of the brave men and women that that you know butt up against Albert Bell and the like but uh it's not quite the same thing as putting our life on the line that's right it, it's you know service men and women whatever they do it's, it's a lot of courage a lot of bravery yeah Boy, and, I, and, I, and I a lot of I, and a lot of sacrifice by their families no question oh, about it yeah it's it's an important holiday you know i noticed by the way the nationals are doing a real nice job on Masson. Uh, promoting the fact that they salute the uh, heroes, uh, the the armed forces heroes at games by asking them to stand up and take a bow and introducing them. Yeah, that's become a fourth inning tradition at Nats Park, and it's a good one. I mean, I think the fans are really into it, and uh, they introduce them or they they stand up. Uh, I, I believe it's in the fourth inning, and then they're on the video screen and they get it. They get a round of applause and a little bit of an ovation and. It's a, it's pretty touching and very appropriate for Washington. Hey, uh, needless to say, whenever we have you on, we like to talk Orioles because I know you talk a lot of Orioles on Masson and you write a lot about them. But I thought we'd start with the Nationals for a few minutes. The Nationals are clearly very much in the race for the National League East, but 
they really look to be in a long pitch dogfight with not just one team, not just two teams, but with three teams, the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves, with the Braves and the Phillies really being two vastly improved teams over what they've been the last couple of years. Yeah, and the Phillies and the Braves uh, are pretty much cut from the same mold. They're, they're both ahead of schedule as far as playing well and contending and, and being consistent. And they, they both have a lot of young players on their team. So these two teams are going to be around a while. The Phillies have better pitching in the top three slots, one, two, and three, with Arietta, Nola, and Pavetta. But uh, the Braves probably are deeper with young kids and prospects and all that. But both those teams, Stan, uh, have an, every, there's a blue-chip player at every position, and they're definitely on their way up. There's no question about it. And if the Mets could stay healthy... That would make all the difference in the world. All of a sudden, you can have a race in the National League East, a four-team race, more than just one or two teams. It's been interesting. I'm looking at the Nationals now in the standings. They're two games behind Atlanta, and Atlanta's a half game in front of the Phillies, and the Mets are just one game behind the Nationals. But what's interesting is the Nationals have been a very fine 15-8 and eight away from Nats Park, but are under 500, whereas the Braves are – over 500, both home and away. Two games over 500 at home, 11 and 9, 18 and 11 away. And the Phillies are 18 and 8 at home and 10 and 12 away. Um, what's going on there with the Nats? Uh, historically, Nats Park's been a pretty good place for them to play, the Nats. I think it's more coincidence than anything, the home and road record disparity there. I think the difference is that in April, the Nats just didn't play well. They didn't hit with runners in scoring position. They overworked their bullpen. They had sloppy defense, and uh, they weren't they weren't scoring any runs. I think they played like twelve one run games in the first five weeks of the season. So that tells you all you really need to know. The rotation just didn't quite get clicking yet. So I think it's more of a difference between April and May because in May the offense has clicked to the point where um, you know they're among the league leaders in virtually every offensive category. So. Um, uh, you know, I think I think it's more just April and May versus home and away. So give me a, a – and I know you're not down there all the time, but just from watching the Nationals, give me a grade so far on Dave Martinez. Is it a C-plus? Is it a solid I think B? He, I, I, think he's, I think he's got a B. And okay. the reason I'm giving an A is because he still has a learning curve to go. But basically, basically he's done well. He, he – when the bullpen was thin, he, he understood how he could keep them fresh, keep them rolling, and uh, he's done a good job. That was his biggest challenge, the thin bullpen, and uh, he he got through it all right. We're talking. So I would say a B or B plus. B or B plus. Not an a yet. All right. We're talking with Mel Antonin, who does uh, double duty with Masson Sports and their website, MassonSports.com, writes for MassonSports.com, and also is a regular contributor on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Um, what? How about the – it wouldn't be a national season without significant injuries to significant players. This year it's been Ryan Zimmerman and um, who's the outfit? Howie Kendricks. Uh, and, Adam and, and Matt Weeders and Adam Eaton. And, Dan, yep. and Daniel Murphy. And Daniel Murphy, that's right. Five Murphy. significant injuries. What's, give, yeah. give, give us an update on those folks. Well, Murphy and Goodwin, and Brian Goodwin as well. I mean, good, good big-time outfielder. Eaton, 
we don't know when Adam Eaton's going to come back. He's out with an ankle injury. Daniel Murphy has started a rehabilitation assignment. Same for Brian Goodwin. And Matt Wieters is going to be at least another month or so. And Zimmerman is feeling good, although he we don't know for sure when he's going to be on rehab. But when you consider Kendrick, Defoe, um, uh, Matt Adams, all those guys off the bench have pitched have played incredibly well. The Nats are deep, and Dave Martinez is going to be tested when everybody comes back. So the most, the two closest to coming back, if I'm right, tell me a little bit where you think Adam Eaton is in his rehab, and what about Daniel Murphy, who's had a complicated uh, re-break of a bone right below his knee, I think? Yeah, microfracture. Microfracture, yep. Yeah, well, Murphy hasn't played all year, but, um, again, he's on rehabilitation. We don't know how long he's going to stay in rehab. Uh, I would assume for quite a while, given that he missed all of spring training. And he's not anywhere close to coming back yet. He's still healing. Uh, he had ankle surgery, so it's going to be a while with him. And, uh, and uh, okay, Murphy's going to be a while. Uh, how about this kid that came up this week to take the place of Kendricks, uh, Juan Soto, 19 years old, hits a home run on the first pitch he ever faces in a major league game? Yeah, he's probably, if not the top, outfield prospect in baseball. He's the second best outfield prospect in baseball to Victor Robles, who also is with the Nationals. Robles is 20, Soto's 19. But the Nats started scouting him, Stan, when they were 15 years old. When he was 15 years old, they gave him questionnaires, they went to his house, they talked to his parents, um, and uh, they gave him a million and a half dollars when they could, uh, when uh, when he was eligible to sign at age 16 and a half. It is an amazing uh, it, it, it's an amazing story how to scout a 15-year-old versus a 21-year-old coming yeah. out of college, and the Nats did it well with Soto. But he went to several tryout camps in the Dominican Republic. Any team could have had him, but the Nats jumped first. He's got incredible poise. He's got incredible strike zone discipline. He's got power and speed. And his maturity level and his ability to learn is what's going to have him rapidly going through the big leagues. I mean, he really is a, a once-in-a-lifetime prospect. Uh, you know, the comments I read after his first game were pretty poised and matured about the need to to just focus on hitting his pitches and not help the hitters out. You don't often hear 19-year-old hitters talk like that. No, I mean, it's a, it's a skill that, you know, somebody even like, you know, there's not very many hitters that get to professional baseball and learn how to do that. It's something that you kind of learn on the job, but... He's he's well he's advanced well beyond his years and like what Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nats, told me the other day was we can see at age fifteen that he had it. And when we talked to his parents, this is Rizzo talking now, Stan. When they talked to his parents, they realized that this kid is is worth a million and a half dollars at age sixteen. It's it's uh, it's a very interesting story. He might struggle, I'm sure he will, but he's he's awfully good. You know, I'm just looking as we're talking here as we shift over and we'll talk a little Oriole baseball, but I wanted to make a point about the National League. Normally, by Memorial Day, if you look at the 15 teams in a given league, there's at least five or six teams that you could say, wow, they don't have any chance at the playoffs or to win their division. The National League in the, in the East, you have first place to fourth place. There's a three-game gap. In the Central Division, you've got first place to fourth games, fourth place separated by four games, and now with the recent turnabout by the Dodgers, 
in the National League West, you've got the first four teams separated by three and a half games. You really only have two teams, the Marlins 10 and a half and the, the Reds 14 out that are totally out of it. Even the Padres are only six and a half games out of first place. And the Padres swept the, one three out of four from Pittsburgh last week before they came to Washington and got beat. But, yeah, I'd say really the only really team that's struggling big time are the Reds. I mean, they, they've been trying to rebuild from the rock bottom up for a long time and have been able to do it because of injuries and just bad luck. But the Marlins are playing a lot better than most people had expected, and it's because of the youthful energy and the focus on, uh, on defense and, and just doing the fundamentals right and learning it. The Marlins are, you know, a pretty darn good team. They're probably still a long way from contending, but they're on their way up. And the Padres, too, as I said, look pretty good at times. They're inconsistent. You know, it's interesting, the Reds, if I'm not mistaken, when they fired Brian Price, they were 3-18. and They have gone 15-16 and since they fired him, I believe. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's Brian Price's fault, but... You know, it's certainly it's hard to argue with what you just said. Yep. Jim Riggleman is the manager. Brian Price had so many injuries to a young pitching staff. There were so many pitchers in the Reds' rotation that didn't need to be there. It's one thing if you have one or two guys, but you have three or four guys out. Their depth and their injuries, the combination of the lack of depth and the combination of injuries and lack of depth just, just, just hammered them completely. The Reds had a good offense last year, and the general consensus on the Reds stand before the season was they're going to score a bunch of runs. If they get any pitching at all, they're going to be vastly improved. And if they get any health in their rotation, they're going to be vastly improved. But it hasn't worked out that way. But you look at that lineup, it's a pretty powerful lineup with a lot of good hitters and a lot of good run production. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, shifting over to the American League before we hyper-focus on the Orioles, the, the most mystifying team to me is the Cleveland Indians. Under 500 in first place, but just a game and a half in front of the Minnesota Twins. But the Indians have one major problem, is that their biggest difference maker out of the bullpen, Andrew Miller, has spent time on the DL, and since he's come back, I would guess his earned run average since he's come back is probably in the sixes or sevens. He's over four for the season. He hasn't been the same pitcher. No, that's that, that's a key to why the Cleveland is struggling. The other keys, the other keys are the fact that um, they're not hitting as well. They've been very inconsistent scoring runs. Yep. And their bullpen is thinner, and their rotation is very very good. But they just have to all cylinders. I think another issue with the Indians is postseason hangover. It's not easy to be playing deep into the postseason two consecutive years and then come out in April and, and be your best team. It's just, it just doesn't happen. Players talk about it all the time, a World Series hangover or a postseason hangover because the previous season goes so deep into, into October, and if you're in the World Series, you're talking November. Not easy. So there, there's something to World Series hangover or postseason hangover. It's something you want to have, but it's also something you have to deal with. All right. Very interesting deal made last night, uh, late night, at least uh, I read it late night, um, MLBTradeRumors.com. I go there three times, four times a day. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, uh, who've been really hurt with some injuries, key injuries, and also the PED suspension by Robinson Cano, which actually, whether or not Cano had been suspended or not, he was going to miss uh, probably 40, 40 to 50 games with that fractured hand. 
Um, they struck a deal with the Rays late last night, picking up Denard Span, an outfielder, of course, and uh, Alex Colome to help stabilize their bullpen, uh, which is kind of iffy once you get past Edward Diaz. Yeah, Edward, Edward Diaz is a, is a guy that could be hurt by his lack of experience. Awfully good pitcher, yep. good fastball and everything like that, but if they're going to contend, they're going to need more arms, more experience in the bullpen. And Denard Span gives them the center fielder they don't have because D. Gordon moved from center field to second base to replace Robinson Cano, who's out with an injury and a PED. And now, and now D. Gordon's out with a broken toe for 10 days or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they... I don't know if they have more injuries or more trades. Jerry Porto, their center <laughs> manager, just trades, the trades, the trades. He probably made that trade. We last night on the NASA announced his fan was in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, about six fifteen or six thirty last night, and then and, he was uh, pulled. Then he was pulled. Then he was yeah. pulled. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, let's flip over to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the games are broadcast on MassinSports.com. I mean, on Masson, so it's no surprise that you probably were uh, uh, listening in uh, Wednesday night when after the game and uh, 0 for 4 from Chris Davis. Jim Palmer uh, kind of went a little uh, uh, no-holds-barred and questioned uh, whether Chris Davis had really put in the work that he promised fans last September that he was going to put in. Yeah, and then he sourced it with Mike uh, with uh, Scott Coolbaugh as well. Right. I thought it was an interesting comment. It was it was a good analysis. It was sharp. It was honest. It was supported by facts. I don't know if he meant to throw Scott Coolbaugh under the bus or not. I don't know if Scott Coolbaugh put him up to it. I don't know. Yeah. But but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I understand Chris Davis' frustration. I understand it, but it you know it's. Baseball is based on the second guess, and when when analysts sometimes have to be critical and honest to keep their credibility, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't. It's just yeah. Go ahead. No, I don't at all see anything wrong with it. it uh, the most interesting thing is most criticism is on the obvious. It's like that Chris Davis right now stinks. You know yeah. it, uh, that's out there for everybody to see. What Jim really was attacking was his credibility and a little bit of maybe his ethics and truthfulness about how hard he really worked with Scott Coolball. Jim wasn't yeah. Jim wasn't saying I don't know if he didn't work with somebody else, but he had alluded to the fact that he and Scott Coolball were really going to go back to school this off season and it apparently never really happened. Yeah, and, and you don't know, I mean did, did Scott Coolball tell Jim Palmer on that did he give him that information off the record? And then did he say, go ahead and use my name on it? Who yeah. knows yeah. what what it is? I mean, maybe Scott Coolbaugh is protecting his credibility, his reputation, his work ethic by saying that. I don't know. But, you know, my question is, did, did, did Jim Palmer think that was off the record and then accidentally made a mistake by bringing Scott Coolbaugh into it? Could it be just stopped and said, I don't think Chris Davis is working as hard as he, as he should be? Yep. But he put it, you know, he brought up Scott Coolball, and again, journalistically, that's fine. Yeah, Coolball, by the way, did not seem particularly miffed or that he was backing away from it. And the interesting thing was, I think Palmer, and this speaks to even more credibility, he's waited, you know, in other words, the conversation he had with Coolball was in spring training, Jim said. It wasn't yeah. like it was just three days ago. So he yeah. sat on this and waited to see whether Chris Davis really did anything different. And I think Jim was just sort of 
up to here. I'm pointing to my neck with the fact that he keeps doing, what's that they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel for Chris Davis and what he's going through, but man, yeah, you know, is it more mental than physical? Who knows? Yep. I'm not a hitting coach, but you know, 75 called third strikes last year, and and that's 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 too many, and he's struggling again this year. I don't know what the Orioles can do, but again, Palmer's criticism was right on, and it was fair. Hey, um, I'm not sure if you know anything or not. We had Andrew Stetka, Bill's son, on uh, earlier in the show. Apparently, DJ Stort was pulled from the game last night in Norfolk or, or the, the Tides game. There are rumors that he might be coming up if Trumbo goes on the DL. Um, have you heard anything uh, referencing I that? You know, I haven't heard anything this morning on that, but it could very well be, and why not? See, yep. what, see what you have in faith. In uh, DJ Stewart, I think it's a, it's a good idea. I would assume Andrew has some pretty good contacts there, so um, we'll have to wait and see. But it would make perfect sense. The, the younger you can get, the better. The difference between the Orioles and the White Sox, both teams have virtually the same record. The White Sox are a lot younger. Hey, Bill, uh, Mel, uh, Mel, before we let you go, uh, you've been around, uh, like myself, a good while, and we remember those Atlanta Braves rotations with uh, Glavin, Smoltz, and um, and Greg Maddox, and even Kent Merker, uh, and some other number four pitchers like Kevin, uh, Kevin Millwood, uh, which were pretty good rotations. Have you seen the likes of the kind of results that they're getting in Houston now where their former ace might not even start until game four of a playoff series with Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Charlie Morton pitching at the level they're pitching. <laughs> and Dallas Keuchel, too. And, I mean, and Keuchel, all... I'm saying, he's now like their number four guy in terms of... A number four or five guy. And yeah. Brad Peacock, who had a 350 area last year, can't even make the rotation. Right. Who wouldn't want to have a pitcher that... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we talked about how deep the Nats rotation is, but I think the Astros rotation, right. one to seven, is even deeper. Have like this for quite a while. I don't know what the best story is, but the turnarounds by Verlander and Garrett Cole uh, uh, have really benefited Houston. I mean, in 2014, man, we were thinking that Verlander might be done. He might yeah. be on his way out. But yep. Boy, not anywhere close. And what's interesting is he's pitching in the eighth and ninth inning in, in a tight ball game, one to nothing, two to one, with the winning runs on base, and he's still pitching. No relief pitcher. That's like going back to the 60s and 70s with Drysdale and Gibson. It's really fun to watch. He's, he's either picked something up or he, or it's the Kate Upton factor, which which, <laughs> well, a, which a lot of men would like to have the Kate Upton factor, or, uh, exactly. even, even if their results on the field weren't as good. Hey, uh, Bill, it's certainly been an interesting baseball season. Uh, Orioles have not gone the way we had hoped, but uh, – it, it figures to be a very interesting next two months. Before I let you go, last question. Uh, Manny Machado, uh, when we get to August 1st, is he still a Baltimore Oriole? No, I don't think so. I think there's enough of a market, man, uh, that says somebody will take him. Uh, and here's what has to happen. The Oriole fans, for a good return on Manny Machado, have to hope that the Philadelphia Phillies stay in contention right. and need a bat. They have to hope that the teams in the National League, the Cardinals and the Cubs, yep. will continue to struggle offensively. And then they have to hope that maybe the Brewers will block a trade to the Cubs and the Cardinals because they want to stay in first place. 
Brewers need a shortstop as well. I think the four teams that have the best, biggest need for Machado would be Philadelphia, St. Louis, the Cubs, and Milwaukee. I think those are the four teams the market is going to come from, but that could all change. I'll throw you one other team in there, and that's the Cleveland Indians. And they might have enough in their farm system if they want to really make a run to win a World Series by moving Ramirez back to second and playing Machado at third uh, on the short term, you know. Well, that's possible. All Cleveland right. has not made those kinds of trades before. Nope. And it's rare that they would do it, but I, I, your logic is sound. All right. Mel, always a pleasure to talk baseball with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Good to with you. Thank you so much. All right. There you go, Mel Antonin. We're going to take one qu- final quick time out on the bat around, and then we'll be back to wrap things up. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts don't miss the action at royal farms arena when your baltimore brigade takes the field friday june 15th against the washington valor enjoy fun for the whole family including our post-game field party when you can meet the entire brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com today. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com Stand the fan back here uh, for the close of the battle round. Again, some great lacrosse action this afternoon. Yale plays Albany in game one, which should be just tipping off or facing off right about now. And then around 2.30 to 3 o'clock this afternoon, Duke, Maryland, uh, up in Boston. And, again, the final will be on uh, Monday morning. All right? Thanks to Brittany Everett. Thanks to our guest, Andrew Stetka, Bill Ordine, Bill Latson, uh, Craig Heist, who interviewed Mark Reynolds, and we thank Mark as well, and Mel Antonin of Masson Sports. If you missed any part of the show, it's all there for you on the archive to listen to at pressboxonline.com slash radio, or you can watch parts of it as you uh, move forward on Facebook Live by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. I'm not intending to do a batter round today, but we should return tomorrow with the batter round, okay? That's uh, on Facebook Live after Oriole games, about 15 minutes after road games, about an hour after home games, Tomorrow afternoon should be on, okay? That does wrap up our show for this Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and your holiday weekend. And again, our thanks to the military service uh, out there, the folks who have done yeoman's duty for this country and protected us all.